The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. When Jesus had crossed in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, fell at his feet and began repeatedly begging, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While Jesus was still speaking, some people from the leader's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Jesus allowed no one to follow him. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then Jesus put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about, for she was twelve years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know of this and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. All three readings contrast life and death, certainly on a physical level, but more primarily in a spiritual sense. Let's start with that first reading from the Book of Wisdom, chapter 1, where it states that God loves life. He created it. He wants it to flourish. He wants it to endure. He did not make death, but through the devil's envy, death entered the world. So we have a battle right there. Now, we know what happened. In the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve did not trust God. They had life eternal. They were immortal in that sense. And yet, because of their disobedience, death entered the garden and entered them. And we see it almost immediately, the effects, because there's disruption between them and God, for sure, because they hide themselves. They can't face God. 
And then there's dispute among themselves. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. There's friction. They have to clothe themselves lest they look on each other with lust. So there's a break right in their relationship between man and woman. Death also manifests itself in the break within the intellect and will, which is now at war with the sensible appetites. Before they were beautifully ordered, now there is a war going on internally. We see that with the first child of Adam and Eve, Cain, out of envy, kills Abel. Finally, we see death in the full war between humanity and creation, because Adam has to now work by the sweat of his brow just to bring fruit from the earth. So there's death on all levels. However, God rescues us. He sends Jesus Christ that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And we see it in today's gospel. Jesus performs two miracles. First, of course, the healing of that disease that women have in 12 years, debilitating disease, and one that made her unclean in the sense that she couldn't go in the temple and worship. So it was devastating to her, both physically and socially and spiritually. And then, of course, he raises the little girl, 12 years of age, who was dead. Notice the common denominator of these great miracles. Touch. The woman with the hemorrhage said, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And indeed she does touch. And Jesus knows power has gone from him. And he says, who touched me? And of course the disciples are saying, Jesus, there's all kinds of people bumping up against you. This is a crowd. How can you say that? But Jesus knew this woman had faith. That made the difference. And so she comes forward and Jesus says, daughter, you are healed. Your faith has healed you. Well, then when he comes to the little girl, he takes her by the hand, again, touch, and raises her up. Now this points to the great blessing that we've been given in the incarnation in the church. The sacraments are all about touch. The physical mediates the healing power of God into us. It's remarkable. God communicates divine life that transforms us interiorly through the sacraments. They are powers of life, and they battle against the sin that we commit that causes death because sin is forgiven in the sacraments, especially reconciliation and baptism. Now, in creation, God communicated the natural order. That was a great miracle, bringing the whole universe into existence. But that pales in comparison with the far greater miracle of the spiritual regeneration of us. Infinitely transcending the work of God in creation is the work of God in redemption. All the church fathers say that. So that's one way in which we are brought into new life. There's another way. It's in the second reading. St. Paul says to his church, excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, in generosity. What's he getting at? Contrary to Adam and Eve, who did not trust and disobeyed, Paul is exhorting his church to trust God and let faith rule their lives. 
and generosity and speech and knowledge. Now what he's doing here is he's invoking a collection because the church in Corinth is rich, but the church in Jerusalem is very poor. And he's exhorting his own congregation to be generous because God can never be outdone in generosity. And indeed they do. And they experience great healing. For us today, we always have a choice. Will we be generous or will we pull back? Let's say you have a friend who's in the hospital or in a nursing home, and you hear this nagging voice in your conscience saying, you need to go and visit that person. Now, of course, in COVID, that's not that possible, but even picking up the phone and calling the person, making an effort. Whenever we do that, when we trust God and go out of ourselves to help another, life comes into our soul. It's just God's rule. He's given us a conscience. Our conscience speaks to us and says, well done. There's a story of an English priest who lived in the 17th century by the name of George Herbert. He was an amateur musician and poet. He was on his way to meet friends to have a music session. He came across a poor man who had fallen off his horse. The horse had collapsed under the weight of the load, so both the man and the horse were in great distress. Well, George Herbert got off his horse, took off his clerical garments, got down in the dirt, helped the man up, helped him to unload the horse so that the horse could be raised up, put the load back on, and then he gave him money to refresh the man and his horse, and then went on his way to meet his friends. When he got there, of course he was late, and the friends were a bit annoyed because they saw he was a bit dirty. Like, he was a fastidious man, always on time, perfect cleanliness, but he was kind of muddy and late and disheveled. So they wanted an explanation, and he gave them the explanation how he helped this poor man. And they kind of looked down on him. Why would you get involved in something so lowly? Here's his response. This is something we should commit to memory. The thought of what I have done will be like music to me at midnight. The thought of what I have done will be like music to me at midnight. Now that's a beautiful thing to say. When we've come out of ourselves to help someone, we've sacrificed, our conscience speaks to us. God speaks to us through our conscience, and we can receive new life, the sweetness of new life. That's a decision we can make every day. We can grow in vitality by the way that we live, these decisions that we are faced with every day. And when we do, as St. Paul says, whoever sows abundantly reaps abundantly. He says, we will be transformed from glory to glory into the image of God who is life itself by doing these good deeds. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses puts it point blank. See, I set before you today life and death, blessings and cursings. Choose life that both you and your descendants might live. So let us keep focused on this life-death choice that is always in front of us in every decision we make. And just trust God to go out and to help one another. Be kind, generous, even to the point of sacrifice. We will hear that music 
always the joy of God in our hearts. God is very pleased because when we do it to the least of our brothers and sisters, we do it to Christ. And that's a beautiful thing.